Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Ah, lads, isn't she just great? I mean, the whole... Of Ireland is watching this brilliant young golfer of ours, Leona Maguire. I didn't give a damn, but the soccer over the weekend was nice to watch. Is it Mead winning in the football and, and a few more things like that? But the golf has just been outstanding all weekend. And Leona Maguire, like what a player. She's playing like, like someone's on about her fifth or sixth tournament. She's flying it. Can't wait to see the rest of that today. Good morning, 1850-715-996 is the number. And of course, <laughs> to mind the sport, golf, football, whatever you have in yourself, the great sport over the weekend was the sport of watching what is Leo doing? What is Leo doing now? What will Leo do next? Does Leo actually care that the whole country was up in arms about this? Or were they really... Were they really open arms about this? Or was this a complete non-story? As I hear Jerry Bottomer has been saying on national radio this morning, was it a non-story? Or was he, you know, was he out of line going to a music festival in the UK when we can't go to music festivals here just yet? Was he out of line? It was someone took a photograph. Someone spotted him at this Hoopla festival in the UK and took a photograph and decided to upload it to social media. And we all know what happened then. Now, politically, I don't know how it's being viewed on the corridors of Leinster House. Uh, will they be going around with their head going, Jesus, Leo, not again, not again. I wonder, I wonder. Adam Higgins at the Irish Sun. Adam, good morning. Good morning. Is it a story, mate? Or, or is it just a, a storm in a teacup that will go away? I think this will end up being a bit of a storm like a teacup that might go away in a couple of days. The people that I'd be interested uh, to hearing from their opinions on this would be the musicians and the events industry workers who have, you know, yet to get back to work. And I know they're small parts of music, the music industry will start to reopen today and over the coming weeks uh, as part of the government's plan. But I wonder would it grind them the wrong way to see that the person who was at the table when they were discussing when things should be reopened uh, was happy enough to go away days before Ireland's events industry was set to reopen and, you know, have a, a, a concert in the UK. Was he on private time with the UK? Like there was another rumour flying around social media yesterday the government yet was involved in this, but that, that's not the case, is it? 
No, the government jet is not the case at all. We our, our reporters, um, Danny Deval and, and Craig Farrell, were working on this one over the weekend, and they had established that the government jet was not used at all, and that was just a social media claim that was thrown around and so often thrown around, and that's why you'll have to trust, um, you know, real traditional media as opposed to what you see online, uh, especially on Facebook and Twitter and that sort of thing. But the Tanishta was on his own private time. He is due to start uh, an IDA tour today, which will see him visit three cities and London being one of them. So he has meetings in London. And as far as I can understand, he went to London a couple of days before to enjoy uh, some music and some private time before this uh, tour starts today. Now today it coincides, of course, Adam, with the, the another stage in in the reopening, uh, and and are people happy at political level now that they, we can continue going at the pace they intend to go? Happier than they than they thought they would be as well, actually, because the cases have come down slightly. That fourteen day incident rate has dipped a little bit. You remember a week or two ago, the last time we spoke, probably the the cases were up and around seventeen hundred to two thousand a day. They've dipped a bit now, uh, marginally, but still coming down, which is uh, an, something that I know the people in the, the decision making rooms are optimistic about, and they hope that that can continue because we know that we've seen from Neffet some of these kind of scary um, predictions and and modelling that the cases will continue to rise, and we were due to hit you know, 3,000, somewhere between 3,000 and 5,000 cases at the end of this month into next month. And hopefully now this downward trajectory continues and all obviously on the back of that uh, very impressive vaccination campaign from the HSE. Yeah. Now this photograph of, of Leo in the UK was just taken by someone who happened to be at the festival, popped into social media. I guess the politicians, not to be, try to be kind to them, I think, they must have to deal with that now as an occupational hazard, mustn't they, Adam? No, you're, and you're correct to point it out as well, because I think a lot can be made of this on social media and people will say like, oh, it's awful, but is there really, are people really annoyed about it? You know, it's very easy for people to throw up a, a comment online and, and say they're annoyed or say they're angry, but often, and it's something actually the Taoiseach Michal Martin spoke about earlier this year, um, or maybe late last year, that he was woe to to warn his backbench TDs not to try and force policy and try and force decisions based on outrage on social media because we all know it's not 100% real and genuine outrage on social media. It's often that the algorithm that these uh, sites work off will promote that sort of uh, comment mm-hmm. and that's why it's so popular that you see it. So I think this is going to be a bit of a storm in a teacup. I don't think it'll really do the, the tarnish to any damage. That is, of course, unless the music industry themselves start mm. to, you know, take aim at it, which you can understand their Absolutely. anger if they were. But yeah. when it comes to political situation in, in Leinster House, I can't see this becoming something that the opposition will latch on to to try and mm. score a few points because I think that would probably be a little ungenuine. And just before anybody else starts calling or texting or WhatsApping us with the so-called government jet connection, it doesn't exist. 100% doesn't exist. No, the, the government jet wasn't used at all. As actually, we were told the government jet was uh, on a, a, an ambulance mission, something to help with the health, the health service. So the government jet was not using this at all, no, and it was completely on the Tarnished's private time. All right, listen, Adam, thank you as always. That's Adam Higgins, political correspondent of the Irish Sun, on behalf of his two colleagues who wrote the story over the weekend and were researching it late into the evening. So anyone who was sharing that, and a few people were DMing me last night, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Government jet, government jet, music festival. No, it's not true. It's not true. Okay, it's not true. Does anybody care about this, by the way? I, I saw the picture. Um, 
moreover, the fact that he was picking his nose at the time, it wasn't the best picture. And you wonder, like, was it taken at that moment? Did she take more than one picture? Uh, did she have a better picture? Like, he might have been sitting back there just enjoying the music. But no, there's the picture she took of him sitting with his, obviously picking his nose, um, which wasn't the most pleasant way to be portrayed. Anyway, uh, do you care? Do you really care about this? Is he not entitled to go on his free time to go to a concert or go to a festival and admittedly we don't have any concerts or festivals to go to here just yet so do you actually care about that? I'd be interested in knowing 1850 715 Mag says spot on, it's a complete non-story the one who shared the photo clearly had a vendetta against him judging by the timeline and ironically having shared a photo of him during his time off She's now made her own account. And Kevin says, I'm more and more convinced that Leo wants the government to fall, to fall so he doesn't have to govern uh, leading into an election with Fianna Fáil. He can't stop tripping over his own feet. 1850 Look, the person who took the photo did it because she did it and she saw a moment and she saw an opportunity to upload something to social media which wasn't very complimentary of, of Leo Varadkar. Um, I, I don't know whether accusing her of a vendetta is fair at all. Was Golfgate then a non-story? We've heard more from Buttimer on Hoopla than we did on his own outing to Golfgate. This is about Jerry Buttimer being in the 9 o'clock news there saying, look, he's on his private time and etc, etc. I'm asking you, I'm not saying whether it's a story or a non-story. I saw it and I go, oh, Jesus, Leo. Oh, like, but then again, he's on his private time. And is he not allowed to do what he wants on his private time? He bought a ticket for the event. He went and enjoyed the event. Is he not allowed to do that? 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. The 2021 Inchidani Summer Swim will take place on Sunday, the 19th of September at Inchidani Beach. There's three different distances to choose from 500 metres, 1.5 kilometres, and 3 kilometres. All funds raised will be donated to Inchidani Inshore Lifeboat and Court McSherry RNLI. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 On Quartz 96FM. Yeah, caller says, as a musician who's not worked for the past 18 months, I don't get the feeling that we're all in this together from what happened over the weekend. I support following whatever Neffet says should happen, but that wasn't leadership. That was, I'm all right, Jack. There's something radically wrong with leadership in this country. 1850-715-996. I'd like to hear your thoughts uh, and, and your views. Uh, was was it a story? Was it a non-story? Is it something we should just forget about and move on? Or was it an insult to all of the music industry people who've been out of work for over 500 days and will only start going back to work over the next few days? Because as of today, we know that live music can come back indoors. So hopefully there'll be pub gigs now from next weekend and stuff like that and we have communions and confirmations and you can have bands at weddings from today 
but at the time that Leo was at the festival, you couldn't have any of that. Uh, the, the whole argument about electric picnic which I see people were saying yesterday, oh well, Electric Picnic was allowed to crash and burn. Uh, the government forced Electric Picnic to be closed. Actually, it didn't. Leash County Council forced Electric Picnic to be cancelled because they wouldn't give it a licence. In fact, I seem to remember Tony Houlihan saying that things like Electric Picnic could go ahead if the whole crowd was vaccinated. So it was Leash County Council that, that put the kibosh on, on Electric Picnic. Like your thoughts, and would take them during the morning, 1850-715-996. Speaking of vaccines, we know that our vaccine program is going really, really well. And it's, and it's great to see our vaccine program going so well. And they think now that the fact that the numbers, the daily numbers are starting to go down a little bit, and the averages are starting to go down a little bit, very slowly, and not as quickly as we'd like, but they believe they hope at least, that that's down to a catch-up in vaccinations in certain age groups. And that's great to see. And we'll only see how those numbers pan out over the next couple of weeks. But one group of people who are somewhat hesitant are pregnant mums, or indeed women who are thinking about becoming pregnant over the coming months. They're nervous about the vaccine. We know that up to recently, Nyack was saying that that's the Immunisation Advisory Committee, was saying that people who are pregnant more than 14 weeks could now get their first jab and then their second. I think that that has now been lifted and that anyone who's pregnant can get their first jab from, from whenever they want it. I'm open to correction on that. Now, Vicky O'Dwyer, who's an obstetrician and gynaecologist at the Rotunda Hospital in Dublin, uh, tweeted at the weekend... Lots of pregnant women under 14 weeks being turned away at COVID vaccination centres. Totally unacceptable. So it would seem that even if NIAC has changed the instruction, and we think they have, people who went to these walk-up clinics over the weekend who were under 14 weeks pregnant, they weren't getting vaccinated. That's a, that's a different matter. But on the techniques, the technicals and the safety and the science of whether or not it's okay for pregnant women to get vaccinated early in their pregnancy or what, indeed whether they should be vaccinated at all. Professor Asma Khalil is the Professor of Obstetrics and Maternal Fetal Medicine at St George's Hospital in the University of London. She is one of the foremost leading academics and practitioners in this area and I had the honour of speaking with Professor Khalil over the weekend. Professor, thank you for being with us on the programme. There's a great amount of hesitation and doubt among women who are already pregnant or maybe trying to get pregnant. Can you reassure our listeners that it is safe for them to have the vaccine? Absolutely. So we we now have data from more than 200,000 pregnant women who received the COVID vaccine during pregnancy. Um, And uh, the majority of this data come from the United States, so more than 130,000 pregnant women and about more than 60,000 women from the United Kingdom. And there has been no safety concerns so far. Um, So we know that the vaccine does not cause harm to the pregnant woman or her babies, doesn't cause risk of miscarriage or stillbirth or problems with uh, with the baby. There's a common thread, particularly among younger women. They say, look, this is a new vaccine. Where is the long-term 
research to say that it's safe for me or for my baby. Surely they would ask the question, there simply hasn't been enough time for long-term studies. Can you address that? I mean, it is true that we obviously don't have the long-term studies and the vaccine is relatively new and these babies are uh, still uh, young. But we um, certainly has been no concern in the babies that have been born and uh, the mom had received uh, the COVID uh, vaccine during pregnancy. Um, But we also um, don't know the long-term effect um, of actually having COVID, the infection itself, during pregnancy, whether that actually have effect on the babies. And therefore, I think on balance of probability, I think it's better to avoid the risk of getting the infection during pregnancy by getting the vaccine. And just maybe to highlight that we've launched the la- last month, we launched the, the country's largest vaccine trial um, of uh, for COVID vaccine during pregnancy, where women are um, given the vaccine and being followed up during the pregnancy closely, and their babies will be followed up until the age of one year. Right. And again, that is, of course, long-term work in itself. Like I think what frightens people is, and we all remember, and here in Cork there were quite a number of families affected by the tragedy of thalidomide, and I think when something like this comes along, they all think of the thalidomide tragedy. You see no dangers of that kind. Uh, we don't foresee that. Um, and in fact, the majority of the data that we have is mainly for uh, what we call the mRNA vaccines. It's a little proteins that yeah. you have in the vaccine. This is mainly Pfizer and Moderna. And this is mainly the, the two vaccines that were given in the United States and Israel. And the uh, two vaccines are recommended uh, to pregnant women in the United Kingdom. And therefore, I think I can also only talk about these two mm. vaccines. But it's the Pfizer that they're giving to women here. So that's that's very similar. Exactly. So this is not really an actual virus, for example. And certainly I work very closely with vaccine experts where I work at St. George's Hospital. And when we have discussion about sort of baby's development, they say, but the mRNA does not, it will not, it's extremely unlikely. And they don't really foresee that there's potential harm for the baby's development. So it's different from salidomide, which is a drug yeah. that can actually affect the baby's development. Yeah, yeah. but I think I think those tragedies, they stay in the mind. But thank you very much for clarifying that. With, with the Delta variant of COVID-19, of course, it, it really has changed everything, particularly because of the high level of transmittability. Has it changed the thinking in any way about vaccination in pregnancy? Absolutely. We we know that the Delta variant can cause more severe uh, disease. And certainly we know that in pregnant women, it seems to be more severe than the cases that we had uh, last year. Um, And it's also, it seems that you get better protection after you receive the two doses Mm. of the vaccine. And the, the guidance, or certainly when I have this conversation with pregnant women, and I have it almost on a daily basis, and um, I would say, well, try to get the two doses before the third trimester, which is the latter third of the pregnancy. Mm. Because we also know from the data that if you get COVID in the latter third or in the third trimester, you're more likely to be severe. It's more likely that the woman um, need to be admitted to intensive care unit or require ventilation. And therefore, definitely you would like to get the two vaccines to get better protection against that Delta variant Mm. and ideally before the latter third of the pregnancy. Previously in Ireland, we were giving people the first dose after 14 weeks. Now, I think the advice from our experts here has changed. 
is it safe to get it in very early pregnancy? That's a very good question. And at the moment, we don't have any evidence to say that it's harmful to get the first dose in the first trimester or the first third of the pregnancy. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we know that the vaccine does not increase the risk of miscarriage, for example. Um, it's also reasonable um, to say, well, certainly talking to pregnant women, most of them will say, well, I wait for the 12-week scan, you know, the first trimester mm. ultrasound scan to make sure the baby's fine before I get the first dose. And I think that's also reasonable. I think what's the most important is what I was mentioning earlier, is to ensure that you get the two doses before the third trimester. So you have the full protection mm -hmm. before the latter third of the pregnancy, whereas the, it seems that the, the time of the pregnancy were the highest risk. If you get the COVID, you could become really unwell. Yeah. Like, can COVID harm the baby, Professor? Doctors always say the risk of any kind of a vaccine side effect is far outweighed by the risk of getting COVID. Like, can, can COVID affect an unborn baby? Yeah, COVID can cause severe illness um, in, in the mother and also can harm the baby. So we know that pregnant women are twice as likely to uh, be admitted to intensive care unit or require ventilation or even sort of the risk of death because of COVID compared to non-pregnant women. And it's not just the mother, but also the baby. So they are more, twice as likely to have premature births. And we know that prematurity increases the risk of disability. It's also increased the risk of stillbirths, as death during, during, inside the womb. And for the pregnant woman, more likely to require delivery by cesarean section. And the most recent evidence, the increased risk of developing high blood pressure in pregnancy or preeclampsia. Okay, so far, far safer to get vaccines. To my listeners who, who are pregnant or think they might be or are looking to conceive over the months to come, I think your advice is very strong, Professor Khalil. Absolutely. If you're pregnant or you're considering getting pregnant, you should definitely consider getting the vaccine, not just to protect yourself, but also to protect your baby. Finally, I'm surprised to learn you're married to not only an Irishman, but a Corkman, Professor Khalil. Absolutely. So I do have an Irish family and, and they are in Cork and it's one of the, my most favourite cities. Um, and I just love Irish people. When was the last time you got to visit? Oh gosh, before COVID. So, um, yeah, haven't been for two years now. But um, my husband, who is, you know, Pat O'Brien, uh, he's actually happened to be the vice president of the Royal College of Obstetrician Gynecologists. And he's also um, um, leading the work on the COVID vaccine. Um, but he's been the last time, I think he's been, he went over to see the family last, actually literally a few weeks ago. Right, right. And he loved it. Well, it's been a pleasure to speak with you and even greater to discover your strong Cork connection. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. That's Professor Asma Khalil, Professor of Obstetrics and Maternal Fetal Medicine at St. George's Hospital, University of London, one of the leading authorities, not just in Britain, but uh, in Europe, on the safety of the vaccine in pregnancy. I think there's a very clear message there. Get your jab and don't be afraid of it. 1850-715-996. And apropos of nothing, Kevin from Cove was on to say, come here, come here. What's going on with cans of Murphy's? I just can't get them. My son came across from England and he brought me some. Reverse Brexit or what? Does anyone know what's going on, where you can get them and why you can't? Yeah. I don't know, actually. 
I'm not a purveyor of, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a Murphy's drinker, shall we just say. I haven't seen it. So, uh, does anyone know why Kevin can't get uh, Murphy? There's also a huge shortage. Has anybody noticed this? There's a huge shortage of sparkling water, particularly in small bottles. Huge shortage of it. Or is that just me? 1850-715-996. John was at the National Services Day. Uh, you had all the dignitaries in their finery, yet I didn't see many or perhaps any able seamen coming out of City Hall. The Navy is hemorrhaging staff and recently was only in a position to put one ship to sea. The service men and women are quitting for Lidl and it must be soul-destroying, having passed all the tests, trained up and serving and representing your country. It's a pity the enthusiasm for swanning it up on the ships isn't matched by lobbying by the dignitaries for a fair shake at the tail for the Army and the Navy, for that matter, which is a fair point. A fair point, John. Yeah, the sparkling water thing is because all of the main plants making CO2, carbon dioxide, they're all shut down in the UK and on the continent at different times for different reasons. It's a kind of a perfect storm. I think this happened a couple of years ago as well. There was a huge shortage. We drink we drink a ton of sparkling water in Coogan Towers. It's just a thing. And and because of that trend, buy it as cheaply as possible in the supermarkets. And there's just been an awful shortage of it over the last few weeks. And this is the reason. There's a the, the CO2 plants are were all shut down at various times. And I think it happened over the in a previous summer as well. And I think that the heat waves that have been going through haven't helped. For some reason, I think the heat waves were were a, a factor. The last time, at least, um, I don't know so much about now, but if there's a shortage of sparkling water on your supermarket house, there's a shortage of CO2, and that is why. Okay, let us go to Mary, who's called the opinion line. Mary, good morning. Hello. Hi. You're waiting on your second jab, is that right? Yes, I am. So I received my first um, AstraZeneca vaccine back in March. Can you get a bit closer to that phone for me, please? Oh, yes. I received my first AstraZeneca vaccine vaccine back in March, the first week of March. And at that stage, there was about a 12-week wait in between the first and the second dose of AstraZeneca. Mm -hmm. I'm a healthcare worker. I'm a dentist. So I was offered one of the first kind of vaccines. And at that stage, it was all AstraZeneca that was being recommended at the time. So, naturally enough, I got my vaccine and 
there was a little bit of a delay. It went from 12 weeks, I think, to about 16 weeks. Yeah. Um, and at that stage, I was pregnant. I was five weeks pregnant, so my GP said to wait until you're 14 weeks to get a second vaccine. Um, and when I went to get the second vaccine, I rang the midwife in the UNH and they, the information I've been told so far, I'm now 17 weeks pregnant, is um, that the only vaccine I can be offered in Ireland is the second AstraZeneca because I've had the first. However, if I was a pregnant person who had had no vaccines, the recommended vaccine is Pfizer. Yeah. And I'm just kind of wondering where that leaves me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah, it's, it's, I've been on now to about three different midwives from the CUNH, yeah. bringing once a week, every week for the last three weeks to follow up. And every week I was told the guidelines might change, the guidelines might change. Yeah, A lot of countries in around the world have been mixing vaccines since the start. Yeah, how, the, the, there's a big name for it that I can't remember, but they started doing that recently because uh, in many places. Yeah. And I, I maybe maybe Fergal can check this. He's well up to speed. Nyack, I have a feeling in me water, as it were, Mary, that yeah. Nyack did say something about this recently. Yeah, so again, on Thursday, the, the news came out saying what you spoke about earlier, so... Now you don't have to wait till you're 14 weeks. You can get the mRNA vaccine yeah. at any stage. So I got all excited, rang the midwife the next day saying, well, this must be me. I can now get the Pfizer vaccine. And um, no. So again, I'm in the small percentage of people that if you received first AstraZeneca, you won't be offered the Pfizer. Even though at this stage now, PJ, it's been March, April, May, June, July, August, September. Six months yeah. since I've had my first dose. So my levels of protection are Really you're kind of nearly back um, at the start, aren't you? Exactly. So I said that to the midwife. I said, I mean, I'm kind of back at the start. Is it not possible for me to start two Pfizer's? And she said, maybe if you were nine months since your first vaccine, but you're about six. And it's just, I'm a, I'm a dentist. Um, that's my job. And I see a lot of patients every day. And it's just a kind of a scary situation for me because I'm like, do I get the second AstraZeneca? Because... Yes, that's what the guidelines are saying now. If you've had one AstraZeneca, get the second one. Yeah. But if you've had none, the recommended safer vaccine during pregnancy is Pfizer. And I don't really want to take something that, like AstraZeneca, yes, it's not the COVID virus, but it is a live vaccine. Well, well, it is. It's, 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 it's a, it's an adeno. It's a, it's a, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's not, it's, it's not a live um, COVID or SARS-CoV-2 no, virus, but, virus. But no. if you're to listen to um, the last guest I had on, Professor Khalil, yeah. now yeah. she she was referring to the Pfizer and the Moderna be, yeah. being by far yeah. the safest. Yes, and that's that's what I mean. Like every time I talk about this or read about it, it's get the Pfizer, get the mRNA vaccine during pregnancy, and then when you look at the small percentage of women who started off with AstraZeneca, fell pregnant in between their second. Yeah. You know, it just it leaves us in a bit of limbo. Yeah. You know what now, I mean? so in terms of the AstraZeneca just, and just your fears about it, just if you look into the, the whole live virus thing, it's a bit of a mis mm-hmm. a misnomer. What what, mm-hmm. what what AstraZeneca is, if you're to break it down into real simple terms, it's like a common cold virus that yeah. they have adjusted, mm-hmm. that they have manipulated yeah. to act mm-hmm. as a as a vaccine against or an inoculation against against COVID. Uh, Nyack, yeah, the latest we have. Nyack, Nyack, we're looking as if they might recommend it. 
Yeah. Then they yeah. are went and sought legal advice. Mm-hmm. And there's a hold up. We, we might be able to get an update. We'll have a doctor, another doctor coming up a little bit later on. Might get no. Like, would you yeah. get an AstraZeneca if you asked for one now? Oh, I guess on the midwife said, I can bring you in tomorrow and give you a second AstraZeneca. But she said, the first midwife, like in her own words, said, it isn't recommended to get a live vaccine during pregnancy. And she said, the only other live vaccine on the market is polio. And we would never give that to a pregnant person. But she said, I can't make your decision for you. She said, you, it's a personal decision. Yeah. Going with the HSC guidelines, second AstraZeneca is recommended. Yeah. However, if it's a pregnant person who has not started their vaccine journey yet, you would be getting two Pfizer. And yeah. that's for me, I feel like I'm kind of getting the second best vaccine then during pregnancy. Yeah, you know the, what the, I mean? yeah. It's yes. just a little bit scary and yeah. I don't want to face winter unvaccinated. I'm, However, I don't want to make the wrong decision either yeah. by my baby. You know, my second I, pregnancy, I agree. No. During my first pregnancy, I got the flu and the whooping cough because oh there's research just done. But even at that, I was a little bit nervous getting any vaccine during pregnancy. You yeah, know, yeah. I just... But, Mind yeah. you, again, listening to people like Professor Khalil, like they're they're yeah. researching twenty four seven, yeah, on the safety and, and they're and they're happy with the safety. Do you know? Pfizer, you know what I mean? It's like the, the last professor said, yes, the research we've done with mRNA, you know, it's an mRNA vaccine. Yeah. You know, is there any research done on two AstraZeneca during pregnancy? You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, it's a difficult. I mean, you must you must be worried as well. You know, with Delta and all that going into work and. Uh, Absolutely, and going into work, and yes, we have our PPE and the rest, but it's still it's still not an ideal situation, you know. And when you hear of other countries then offering mixed vaccines, and you know, I just yeah, I just think at this stage, you know, maybe pregnant people should be included on people who can who can receive a Pfizer if they've received an AstraZeneca. Okay. Okay. You know? Okay. We'll so, see if there's any follow up with that. The last we heard was that that Nyack was looking at it, but there might yeah. be a, a legal issue involved. So, so they're gonna they're they're still looking at. If there's been any any development, we'll find out. But uh, thank you for the call, Mary. I hope everything goes well for you with, with the pregnancy. Anyway, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Just a bit of a traffic update. Cork safety alerts. Uh, Cork traffic. Bloody goats are out, lads. The goats are out again. Do you remember the goats? <laughs> they were last seen uh, in Silver um, around St. Luke's and Wellington Road and they weren't too far down the road. <laughs> They're out again. Silver Springs and Mayfield Garda Station. Garda are in pursuit. I'm sorry. I have a vision now of guards tearing across Mayfield. Going, I'm out here, you little... Oh, lads, lads. Are the things that make your day... Uh, it's a great little pop song, and they made a lot of great little pop songs. Let's tinge with sadness this morning. The death of Sarah Harding. She was only 39 years old. Just a stunningly beautiful girl. She's on all the papers this morning. I'm reading from The Sun. A girl's allowed star, Sarah Harding, lost her fight with cancer. She was only 39. She had metastatic breast cancer. She's there. On the front page of the sun, she's on the star, our shining star, Sarah. She makes the front page of the Times. Uh, that, that, that incredible smile and uh, beautiful picture as well on the front page of the, the mirror. Uh, quoting from Nadine Coyle. Nadine's 36 now, of course. Nadine lied about her age at the time to get into the band. Do you remember that? Um, but there she is, front page of, of, of the Daily Mirror. So young. Do you know? Is it me? I, I seem to have a, a memory of her being in... Um, Coronation Street, uh, at some point or other, did she, did she play some very loud 
jilted girlfriend or something in Coronation Street. But uh, she's passed away at the tender age of just 39. Um, Sarah Hardy. 1850-715-996. Long-running saga on the north side of the city comes to an end today with the reopening of South Dock. Dr. John Sheehan. Good morning, John. Morning, PJ. This has been a long time coming. Is the service, is it, a, I mean, I know you used to, you do do your shift in South Dock like many other doctors. Is it a full service, John, or, or is it is it scaled down? It, it's pretty much a full service, PJ. The, the, the centre in Blackpool always had uh, less hours than the centre in Kinsale Road. The centre in Kinsale Road stays open overnight when the one in Blackpool used to close around 11. Now, my understanding is that the service is opening this evening and from 6 to 10. And really, I think the logic of that is that 90% of the calls are done within that period of time, really 10 to 11, you're, you're, you're sort of clearing up. And then during the weekend, it's uh, 9 to 5 that the service um, is opening. The car, as far as I know, for house calls will be based at Kinsale Road. And I think the logic of that, PJ, is that for some reason during the pandemic, the number of house calls seems to have gone down quite a lot. So the base in Kinsale Road normally covers two-thirds of house calls, most of the nursing homes and things like that are based on the south side. So I think the logic is that you would base them there and then go uh, across the river for, uh, um, um, as needed. But I think it's a good news mm. um, story to, to get it back up and running. Like when you were there yourself do, doing your shift, did, did you notice it getting quiet after 10? Because there are some people saying, listen, 10 o'clock, what if you have a sick child at midnight? What do you do? Oh, absolutely. But before, before while, while Blackpool was open before, the, the, the base in, in Blackpool closed at 11. So you still contact South Talk as normal. They still, you know, will talk to you. They will, you know, see you. But really having one centre for the city, sort of for the over, you know, for the red eye shift through the night is probably the appropriate thing. And I think long term, PJ, I think really we need, South Talk needs to look and the HSE need to look and perhaps having sort of one big centre for the city, but also to have other things there, like a minor injuries unit and other sort of things, because you see the demand, say, for the Mercy Urgent Care Centre up in the old grounds of the orthopaedic. Mm. And if you could have one sort of big centre like that, where people don't have to go to A&E late at night for a few stitches and a few other things like that. Mm-hmm. And what time is that closing there, these days? That closes at six. You see, that's and, crazy. You know, yeah, you know, there's, there's a need for that, you know. And I know the HSE are looking for some big premises within the city because what they want to do, PJ, is they want to take a lot of the outpatients from CUH, the Mercy and the, and the South out of those hospitals and have them in sort of one accessible unit. Mm. And really, if you have something, a building like that, that's going to be working nine to five. So really it would merge very well having sort of more out of hours services in some building like that that could serve the whole city. Mm. And, you know, if someone cuts themselves and needs a few stitches so that they're not going to A&E in the middle of the night and things like that. And I think that's really where we should be going. Yeah, I remember being in, in London a few thing. years ago, John, and realising I had an ear infection starting. And of a, a Friday evening, I thought, crikey, I need to see a doctor, but I don't want to go to a hospital. What am I going to do? And I was instructed by a friend to take a bus to a hospital. And I discovered that they have the emergency department and there's a second door, and effectively that's their equivalent of South Dock. I thought it was a super way of doing it. That the, ho- yeah. the doctor and the hospital are in the same, they're in the same place. Yeah, there's a, sir, I think we need to sort of link services in a bit more, PJ, you know, for people, for things like that. And um, so I think if the HSE are looking for a centre like that, I think there's an opportunity 
for South Dock and for other services to kind of come back in and sort of combine and sort of you have a bit more, you know, oh, I can go there, I need a few stitches, I get it done there, I won't have to go to A&E and CUH and all that. So, but I think it's a good news story for Blackpool. You know, Absolutely. That's a, it's a good day. I'm, 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 I'm shocked, though, that you tell me that the Mercy Under Urgent Care Centre, which is a brilliant unit, um, Absolutely, it's closing at six. Like, that's that's not that's not really on, John, is it? In twenty twenty one? No, really, really, it should be. You know, it, I, I would think around nine o'clock at least. Because if you think about it, for what it sees, you know, the hand is my hand broken? Do I need a few stitches? All of that. Stuff I fell stuff. playing soccer. Is my ankle Absolutely, broken? Yeah. Do you know? So all of that stuff, you know, a lot of that was stuff would happen later on in the afternoon, in the evening time, at matches and training and things. So if you could extend those hours to nine or ten o'clock at night. It would make a huge difference um, in terms of service delivery. All right. Okay, John, thank you very much, Dr. John Sheehan, Councillor Dr. John Sheehan, of course. And the uh, South Dock for the North Side reopening this evening, uh, 6 till 10, Monday to Friday, and 9 till 5, Saturday and Sunday. Some people are saying, some people are saying that that's not a full service, uh, that there should be a full service. But if you're to listen to Dr. John, who used to do his shift there from time to time, come 10 o'clock in the evening, most of the calls would be falling away and you'd be just sitting there. 1850 71599. So yeah, on Sarah Harding, she did. She That was right. She made a guest appearance in just four episodes of Coronation Street as Joni, the wife of Tracy Barlow's ex-husband, Robert Preston. Oh God, she got involved in that mad little tangle. Just on the Leo Varadkar story, or non-story, call it what you will. To be honest, I'm not very fond of Leo, but for God's sake, surely he's entitled to do what he wants on his own time. If everything he did is legal, then no issue. I wish people would have more of an issue with homelessness. Just because people are in hostels or in hotels, they're forgotten about. Think of the families stuck in hotel rooms. That's from Tracy. Michael, uh, hi PJ, I don't think Leo has any control on the venues and concerts taking place in the UK. Should we be wagging our fingers at all the young and old going to those concerts? He's vaccinated and under the guidelines in that country, he was perfectly within his own rights to attend a show. This will blow over in the next few days and the begrudges will move on to something else. Uh, hi, Pat says, hi PJ, Leo's actions were two fingers to the Irish musicians who could not work for over a year. Uh, Jack says, hi PJ, I couldn't care less. Yes, he's messed up and not many like him, but he's a politician. People are going to nitpick over anything. The man is human and he broke no rules. He's entitled to time off. If people are that upset about it, why don't they head off and go to a concert? Over the last 18 months, I've seen that people just need a reason to give out and will use anything. Same thing happened with the old photo of Leo getting his flu jab. That photo resurfaced this year with people claiming it was a COVID jab and he was wearing no mask. People are now just looking for a reason to give out. Thank you, Jack. Let me very briefly touch base with Matt McGranahan from the Music and Entertainment Association of Ireland because from today, musicians can start to get back and get a bit more work moving indoors for gigs. So so a, a busy few days ahead, Matt, and a, and a, wel- and a, welcome, a welcome day. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thank you very much. Yeah, but this is the... You know, this is the, the focus, I think, for, for most people in the music industry is the fact that from today on they can start getting back to work. Uh, live music is back in bars. Uh, music is allowed now at weddings as well. We have uh, 60% capacity 
uh, in, in theatres. And, and, you know, while it's not where we want to be, we need to be at 100% capacity for the industry to be viable yeah. and to step and stone in the right direction. I, I hope that over the next six, seven weeks until the 22nd of October, that, you know, we can make use of this uh, 60% capacity, that it will build up confidence with the public and getting back into theatres, back into gigs. Uh, and so people start being able to enjoy live entertainment again. Because I was talking to a promoter uh, over the last few days who has a couple of gigs coming in the Opera House here in Cork, and they will be 60% capacity, and he's saying he thinks even people might be a bit nervous now at this stage. So I suppose the few weeks is important to to get people, I suppose, bring people back again. Yeah, look, we've always said, you know, 100% capacity is the only place this industry needs to be at. It won't be reopened fully until that happens. But there's a this industry, we've always argued as well, cannot be switched on overnight. There will be a natural phased-in process that takes, you know, up to three months, six months to program, plan, produce, promote, sell uh, tickets for shows and that. But I, I think as well, what you just said is that, you know, I think there may be some hesitancy from the public getting back into theatres, getting back into big audiences and big gatherings again. And so 60% is, is possibly a nice way of easing that. And that's certainly, we're trying to look on it in an optimistic way. I think build up the confidence of people that, you know, after the 22nd comes and uh, they're able to return to full capacity, mm. that at least at least they'll have the confidence in doing that, that it been used attending an event with, with the, the reduced capacities. All right, Matt, listen, uh, good luck to everybody involved in the industry over the, the weeks to come uh, trying to get back to a bit of work. That's Matt Granahan from Music and Entertainment Association of Ireland. He's their spokesman. Actually, if there's any um, musicians listening who will be able to go back indoors next weekend to pubs, have you, have you started to get bookings? Are, are, are pubs booking musicians now? Uh, our pubs booking the fellow with with the guitar that they haven't been able to book for months. Like, will will do you think gigs will come back? Will people be busy? Uh, any musicians listening who've already got a phone call to be out next Saturday night? I'd be delighted for you if you are. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The lines are live and we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. And that's nice to see. Hi PJ, I'm delighted to say bars do seem to be booking up. Most of my weekends now are all booked up with 90% of that work in bars. It's been a long time coming, but at last, music is back. No name on that, but I'm assuming it's from a jobbing musician. Delighted for you, bud, and anybody else like you who's been out of work for a long time to get some work back at the weekends. And here's hoping against hope it can continue safely. To go through what is allowed from today, September 6th, and this is for people who are fully vaccinated or recovered and can prove their recovery. Um, There are still restrictions for unvaccinated people or those awaiting full vaccinations. But indoor gatherings like conferences, trade fairs, exhibitions, bingo, live music, entertainment, 60% capacity for vaccinated or recovered people. Outdoor gatherings, I'm assuming that includes matches and stuff, up to 75% of capacity. And 
religious services for both vaccinated and unvaccinated, 50% capacity, which means that a load of communions and confirmations that had been cancelled are now on again. Uh, the dates may have changed, but they are on again. And in general, they say if you have symptoms, self-isolate and get a test. If you have a positive test, self-isolate for 10 days. If you're a close contract, con- contact, restrict your movements unless you're fully vaccinated and the usual uh, ventilation and all of that and plenty more. There's a new stage on the 20th then, workplaces start going back and all that. But from today the 6th, uh, indoor stuff like concerts and gigs and that back to 60% capacity. 1850-715-996. You have to ask yourself, you really do have to ask yourself, what kind of a scrag end steals a defibrillator? That's exactly what happened in Fountain Sound. John Ross, good morning. Hi PJ, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Delighted. What happened down there over the weekend? Yeah, so it was actually um, sometime between Wednesday morning and last Friday. Um, unfortunately, yeah, our, the defibrillator was removed from our cabinet. Um, a CCTV camera that was mounted on the pole as well above the cam- cabinet was vandalised and ripped off. And yeah, someone, someone or some people made off with the with the defibrillator. Where was it? So it's just very very close to the bus stop, actually, in Fountain Sound. People will probably be familiar, right across from Angela's shop there, yes, actually. That's yes. where it's located, yeah. Right. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, we, 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 we were working quite hard in, in our community associate, association here in Fountain Sound to get funding for a defibrillator for quite some time, and we were very fortunate. You know, we got funding through the COVID-19 emergency fund with Cork County Council to get the um the units in place so we got funding for fifteen hundred euro to get the get the cabinet and the defibrillator and um you know we had it in place we got through the whole summer um you know very busy summer down here huge increase in the amount of people swimming and yeah. you know all all weathers now and all times of day there's people down here swimming and uh exercising down here and yeah it, it was a very important piece of equipment for the area and unfortunately yeah someone just i don't know some some someone just whipped it out of the cabinet and made off with it and we're still trying to figure out what happened and appealing, I guess, to the person or, or the people who took it to maybe have a think about it again because, you know, this this piece of equipment can help them, Indeed. can help one of their, their loved ones. Um, you know, it's just, a cardiac arrest can happen to anyone or someone could get into difficulty in the water um, at any time. You know, like and, you say, though, John Ross, like where it is there, just across from from Angela's, there's always people around Angela's, there's always people yeah. at the bus stop. So it must have happened in the dead of night because Fountainstown's been really busy. Yes, yeah, we believe it must, it must have been a nighttime job because, I mean, the CCTV camera was mounted quite high up on the pole, you know, it needed a ladder to be installed. So either they hopped up on top of the cabinet itself and ripped it down and um, made off at the unit. Um, and it was in, we went for an unlocked cabinet as well, right? You know, there's a few different types of cabinets you can get. Um, some are locked, some are unlocked, and our, we chose the unlocked one because you know someone's coming out of the water. Maybe they're 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 in a bad way, and you've got people in a panic trying to get access to the cabinet. Yeah, you need a mobile phone to ring it to get the number, and that just takes a lot of time. So we went for an unlocked cabinet just to make it easy to access. And um, yeah, but of course that leaves you open to high yeah. risk then of it being of it being stolen. So, so stealing the defibrillator, stealing the defibrillator, and we assume also vandalising the, the camera. Like that sounds premeditated to me. It, yeah, there's definitely definitely sounds like there's a bit of thought after going into it. I mean, we thought maybe it could have been young people, perhaps that um that that just took it as a joke or whatever. But uh, the fact that the camera was vandalised as well 
makes it sound like yeah, like you said, you know, maybe pre- premeditated potentially, you know. But the thing is that these these the defibrillator doesn't really have any value on the black market. I mean, you can't they, they, these these devices are medical equipment devices, you know, so they need to be registered and mm. maintained by a you know an approved authority, you know, so they. There's no real value for them to be sold on afterwards. Plus, you know? if it's used, it's trackable, isn't it? It's it's not. I mean, we we know that the device has been used. If you, it's you know computerized device, so you can you can see if it's been used. But I mean, it doesn't make it doesn't call back anywhere. If you know what I mean. Yes. Um, it's kind of an independent unit. Um, once it's kind of and it doesn't have any they, kind of GPS tracker on it or anything like that. No. 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 Unfortunately, no. I, I mean, yeah, it was something we did look into, but. We couldn't really get any confirmation that it wouldn't impact the the, the actual performance of the of device having a, having a tracker attached to it. So we we left it off, and um, yeah, it's you know, but it just does open you up to the, the, that that high risk of it being taken. There, you, you know, you just have to ask yourself, don't you, John Ross? Like, who steals a flipping defibrillator? I know, I know. It's 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 hard to get your head around it, really. I mean. You know, it, it, it because it can it can help anyone, right? I mean, it can it can greatly improve the chance of survival if, they, if someone's getting CPR, um, and you know, if, if you're waiting for an ambulance or whatever to come out, you know, it it, it it can make a huge difference. You know, between life or death, or someone having a having a, a bad brain injury. You know, um, so you, you would you would really question the the motives or the mentality of the people who took it, but. Yeah. At the same time, you know, if, if if anyone knows anything or that those people are listening, you know, we would we would appeal like you know to maybe rethink your actions and if if um you know if if you, if you can bring it back to some one piece, there won't be any further. Action if, to, yeah, I was just going to ask that know, question. If if it was quietly deposited back, say yes. on Angela's porch or somewhere, um, exactly. Yeah, we, anywhere we, we leave it at that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if it's all, if all, if it's in one piece, you know, no damage to it. Yes. Exactly. That that's you know, we leave it there. You know, if we just want to get the, the thing back and that you know, back in place quickly because you know the, the numbers here are are very high at the moment in terms mm-hmm. of the people visiting. So it, it, it's a matter of time, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, before it's actually really needed. Yeah. So you know that we're just keen to get it back in place very quickly. Great to see you've had a busy summer down there. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's really. Um, I, I think apart from the first lockdown, I think um, you know after that, you know people really started coming down here to try and take more exercise. You know, mm. I've been outdoors and having the you know lots of sea swimmers down here. It's been it's been very busy and um, lots of people out walking. You know, it's great, fantastic. All right, all right, John Ross. Thank you very much. That's John Ross Hunt. He's the PRO of the Fountainstown Community Association. Someone decided it would be a clever night's work to rob their defibrillator and destroy the camera. It's a generous offer. If if you know where it is, if you know who took it, just drop it back somewhere and there'd be no more said about it. But like, you have to ask yourself. I, I don't know. I, I turn this over in my mind until you drive yourself bammy. Who robs a defibrillator. Who? Like. 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Bernie says on the whole Leo story, I suppose looking back over the past year and a half, I hope, says Bernie, Leo isn't Taoiseach when Bihal's term comes to an end. That's in December of 2022, by the way. He's been great at times, but overall, you just get a feeling that he knows how to push the rules to the limit in ways that the rest of us are not aware of. And you don't get a sense of leadership from him. So why should he lead the country? He's done nothing wrong, and I fully accept that, but he wasn't exactly putting his shoulder to the wheel either. Now, was he? 1850 Can I word over the weekend about a story that we have been following very closely here on the Opinion Line, and that is the proposed closure of the Onacora Centre in East Cork. This is the mental health centre and the proposal by the HSE to close it in October because they say it's no longer uh, safe and that it's no longer suitable uh, for the people that live in it and that use it. And there's a campaign locally to save it or to refurbish it or do something with it rather than have people just be moved out. And there's a development happening and over the weekend, we were contacted by Green Party councillor Liam Quaid, and I spoke to him, as I say, over the weekend. Liam, we've been following this story, as you know, on the opinion line over the last couple of months, uh, at both your own instigation and the instigation of one or two relatives and, and supporters who contacted us. This is a very significant development that's happening in the Oireachtas. Tell me about it. Yeah, so PJ, the, the the context to this is that the doll has been in recess. So there's been a summer break for two months between mid-July and mid-September. So there's been very limited opportunity to discuss the um, decision to close the Onacora Centre. Um, and both myself and some local representatives here have been very concerned that, um, you know, that closure date is getting nearer and nearer. And um, it really is something that needs to be explored in, in a lot of depth. So I, along with my Green Party colleague, Nasa Horrigan, um, Senator Francis Black, who's the chairperson of uh, that committee on mental health, and Pat Buckley and Danielle Toomey, uh, local Sinn Féin councillor, we've uh, been meeting to, um, with a view to setting up basically an emergency meeting of that committee. Um, the committee meetings are normally public, but in this case, because it's outside of the the usual Iraqi schedule, it will be a private meeting, but it will be an opportunity for family members to put forward um, their very serious concerns about the decision to permanently close the premises. When you say it's private, Liam, do you mean that it won't be available, for example, on, on the Oireachtas feed, that we, can't, we won't be able to watch it? Is that correct? That's, that's right, but we are hoping that it will um, lead on to a public meeting um, in the not too distant future. Now, it's only a few weeks away from the date in October when the HSE has said it will close Onakura. They, they sent us a statement the last time we discussed it, which pretty much indicates they're determined to go ahead because they believe that they're making the correct decision. Is there any way that the date could be put back as a result of this meeting? I, I would hope that that could be one outcome um, to, to bide some time, I think, to, you know, to I, I think put in a very strong case for funding um, to address the issues in the Onacara Centre. Now, since I spoke to you last, uh, building reports were shared with myself and Nasa Horrigan. And um, Nasa Horrigan happens to be an architect, so she was able to look at those reports 
uh, with an expert uh, perspective. And she has, has informed me that there are significant issues that need to be addressed with the premises mm. that at the very least would require a lot of investment um, or it, it may actually make more sense to, um, to go for an entire rebuild. But that being said, there is absolutely no rationale um, to then, you know, go to the very definitive um, option to, uh, to close down a service, you know, completely that has been serving people with the highest level of, of mental health needs in our local community for over 30 years. Um, one, of the, one of the family members who has written to all of us, um, and she won't mind me saying this, she has said in, in, a, in, a, in a letter to local reps that any consideration of the future of the Onakura Centre has to first recognise that, above all else, the Onakura Centre is home to the residents there. And some of the residents have been living there for many years. So it's a really momentous decision for, for those people and their families to, to close the centre and to relocate people elsewhere. I suppose the broader context here is that the Onakura Centre was originally set up um, to accommodate and provide rehabilitation for people who would have been placed in institutions like Our Ladies. Um, so the Onakura Centre has been very much embedded in the local community here through its town location, just ease of access to local training courses, amenities, shops, leisure facilities, farmers market, and all of that has been key to the quality of life of residents and to their participation in the local community. Um, so therefore, you could only justify a permanent closure of this of this service if you were proposing a better alternative that involves the same level of community integration. Um, and we haven't seen any indication that that's a possibility at the moment. In terms of the building reports, do they suggest in any way, and I'm sure your your colleague, Deputy Horahan, would have looked at this with an, a more expert eye than you are indeed I, is there any immediate danger posed by the building? No, there isn't. Um, there are there are significant issues. She informed me that do need to be addressed, but um, the the clients aren't in in any immediate danger. There's no safety risk at mm. present. But I suppose the, what it comes back to really is political will and funding. Do we know, or is there any way to know at this point in the discussion whether it would be cheaper, and for want of a better word, to either yeah. refurbish the Onakura as is required? or build a new one, or move everybody out? Which is the most cost-effective option? Yeah, I suppose the, Nasa Horgan's provisional kind of impression of the reports was that it may make more sense to have an entire rebuild. But I think with that, we would need a cast iron commitment that it would be a temporary relocation of residents because what we're talking about some people who at, at this point, maybe quite a number of years on from taking up residence there, are now active members of the local community. But that, for, for some of the residents, would have taken many, many years of, of painstaking work. Mm. So I, th- I think what you and your colleagues are suggesting and hopeful would be, and maybe the residents that you're dealing with and the families that you're dealing with, are they hopeful that the meeting that takes place, the emergency meeting, could lead A, to a, a more formal public meeting and perhaps to, to a rethink, even a temporary rethink by the HSE? Yeah, absolutely. I think we need that and I think we also need a medium to long-term plan. Um, and above all, we need to retain 
those services in that location because the location is key. Okay. Liam, I'll leave it there for now. We'll see what comes out of that meeting and any future meetings. And we're staying across this story on the programme. So, so thanks for being with us again. Thanks very much, PJ. Now, I spoke with Liam there at the weekend and I, that meeting is on now, actually, in the Erichus. Uh, the mental health committee held in private session because it's an unscheduled meeting. It's a, if you like, it's an emergency meeting. Um, and therefore it's not available on the Eroctus TV or Eroctus uh, feeds, but it is happening as we speak. So if anything should come out of it, we'll bring it to you. 1850-715-996. I'm listening to your conversation about COVID this morning. Just wondering what the situation is with regards to seeing your GP when you have covid I contracted the virus. My GP refused to see me. I made an appointment to see him last Friday, which was day 14. He told me I couldn't come in, so he met me outside in the car park. At that point, I was then allowed back out into the community. So I find it strange that GP can't see me in his surgery. I understand they have to protect other patients, but how do those people who are recovering from COVID get checked out to make sure they're okay? Has anyone else experienced this? That's a strange one. And for that, I have no answers. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Presented by Circus Factory, the fourth edition of Pitch Circus and Street Arts Festival hits the streets of Cork from September 6 to 26. For more details on the festival and see what's happening around town, check out pitchfestival.ie. Access all areas. Having now completed his third full decade as a recording artist, the Divine Comedy's Neil Hannon has announced a treasure trove that is this charmed life, the best of the Divine Comedy, and also a show at Cork Opera House taking place on May 22nd next year. Tickets are on sale now. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the on Cork's 96FM. We get a lot of emails and messages and texts and what's have it about the next topic of conversation, but not too many people are willing to take a call. Um, how are you? I'm a concerned member of the public. I've had the need to call an ambulance twice in recent times. The length of time taken to avail of an ambulance in Cork has caused me concern. Carol, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you doing, PJ? Good, good. Go, go through your experiences then. Um, well, it's it's just um, two random encounters. I normally wouldn't have a need to call an ambulance, but I just happened upon. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. 
Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Two kind of incidents that happened in front of me in the last kind of six months. And uh, basically, I mean, I can go through the details of them, but... um, both calls, now they're both city centre location calls, um, took over an hour of a response time. And it just, just gave me some concern. I mean, the first one was late last year. It was a, a person basically cycled into a wall at high speed. I I, I uh, witnessed that and they immediately started uh, having seizures. Um, so there was obviously a head injury. I have done first aid courses before, so... I just go well, that immediately needs needs uh, some some an ambulance or somebody. So uh, I called immediately, and um, their friends were there and everything. But I they weren't speaking as well English, so I stayed on the line. I knew the postcode and everything, so I stayed on the line with them for an for an hour. And they were getting more and more distressed because this was late at night. It was the winter. It was the person was lying on the ground cold. They had a head injury. They were bleeding. And, uh, and when I, I was saying, where is this ambulance coming to? Now the first, the, the operator was still on the phone with me mm. and I, they said McCroom. I mean, I, we were meters from Patrick's Hill. Uh, and, and I remember just going McCroom. Why is someone coming from McCroom? Yeah. Um, and, uh, no, Ultimately, um, they were whisked away and I, I don't have any further update on, on them. Hopefully everything's OK. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of imagined that was a once off. But on Friday, I was down by the marina and witnessed uh, a man with a kind of a woman. He was trying to help her to stand and it was uh, his mother and she had tripped on the footpath in the marina, which is a different story because the poor lady tripped because the surface there is shocking. But um, she, I believe she was probably around 80. She um, had, at the time, I didn't know what had exactly had happened, but she was entirely like kind of loss of consciousness. She was, she was not able to sit up anything and, and, uh, and ultimately called the ambulance. And this time around, the person just took the details of where it was and hung up so it was a very quick call, um, but we're in the city centre. I assumed someone would be coming soon. And after an hour of the family, the, the son was there. He was quite distressed, uh, waiting. She was cold. She was sitting on the ground. Every time we tried to move her, she would faint. She We kind of believed she may have broken one or both wrists. Um, mm. And she had, she had blood on her chin, so she'd hit her head. And uh, I actually had to call 99 again. Yeah. And say, I'm sorry. Is there is there any update? They actually said, Oh, it's there. It's going to be there in, in a minute. A minute, she said. And uh, it was another ten minutes before the per- person arrived. And I mean, 
as a first aider, like 10 minutes makes a big difference, even if you, you know. Uh, But anyway, I just promised her that I was going to just not walk away and let nothing happen that I said I would try and see if was there anything we could do to to improve it in future. From from Um, what we understand, Carol, because we've we've spoken about this before, a call like yours, 999-112, is picked up by a dispatcher and then mm-hmm. reg- logged as a call and then is dispatched out to the first available ambulance. And believe it or not, if the first available ambulance is in Blackrock Village, around the corner from you, it goes. Yeah. But if the first available ambulance is in Dungarvan, it goes. Yes. That's yes. the system. Um, yeah. and, and, and people have been complaining about it for a long, long time. Oh, well, I mean, I over the years I've kind of experienced that as well. I've, uh, someone years ago had needed an ambulance in Middleton, and we ended up finding out it was something like that came from Dungarvan as well. So, um, there's, there's, you know, it's it's all about reaction times. Yeah. Uh, if it was a cardiac arrest, uh, you lose ten percent chance of survival per minute. You yeah. you aren't being seen to. So ten minutes is too long for someone of that stature. Yeah. And I mean, I, I we weren't dealing with a cardiac arrest, but both of them involved a head injury that could go very wrong very quickly. Yeah. And one of them was um, an elderly person, like, you know, it's... Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was just something I felt I couldn't just sit back and do nothing. That's why I, I sent the, the note and uh, just basically to ask the question, is there anything we can do? Uh, we have this you know, the HSE, we have this whole system um, and doctors and nurses and, and it's, if you think about it, it's it's kind of like a project, a person getting sick. We need to get them from where they are to where they can be treated and then they can be treated safely and a plan put in place to help them get better. And yeah. that, so there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a kind of process that has to happen when someone becomes injured or sick. And we seem to be kind of failing that one bit because the lack of treatment for an hour could cause far more damage to the person that will ultimately mean longer for them to recover um, by being, by being so slow. And, And if, if it is exactly as you're saying, that it just happens to be kind of a lottery. The first available ambulance. Yeah. 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 And uh, I mean, just anecdotally, um, I witnessed two ambulances and a HSE jeep just parked up at a at a vaccination centre there during the week during the weekend. So I mean, I get that there has to be first aid for a vaccination centre, but you know, did two ambulances and a response vehicle need to be waiting at at a vaccination centre when maybe one or a, or a vehicle a Jeep would have sufficed uh, and have that other ambulance be out yeah. available or, for, yeah. for service. Or, or at least could they not have sent out a rapid responder paramedic to, to, yeah. to the situation. Listen, thank you for that, Carol. What we've done now is we've passed your email and I'm sure we they'll, they'll be aware of this call. We've passed that forward to HSE Press for a statement and we will see what comes back. Thank you very much. Thank you, PJ. Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Hannah works in a law firm. So is it your own firm? Is it Hannah and it Hannah? Is. 
unfortunately. <laughs> Citroen is a car company made by what country? You said France. France was the correct answer. No objection. <laughs> Sustained in the case of Casey and Ross in the morning versus the defendant Hannah, I find you the winner of two thousand euros. What do you want to do with the two grand? Um, well, I'm like six weeks away from having a baby, so maybe buy some baby stuff. Nice. Oh, wow. Nice. That is fantastic. Another winner. There you go. 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 Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Casey and Ross in the morning on Cork's 96 FM. Now, following on from Carol, Valerie's contacted the opinion line. Valerie, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Your sister had a fall yesterday. She did in North Cork and two and a half hours they waited for the ambulance. Tell me what happened. She, there was a small little step and she didn't see it. She tripped over it and she split her, her head over her eye. <sighs> And uh, I said two and a half hours they waited for the ambulance. Who, who was with her? Or was she her husband. own? Her husband was with her. Yeah. He had had a drink so he couldn't drive her. Okay, okay. And called the ambulance and I presume described yeah. the fact that she had hit her head and everything. Yeah, exactly. And she had a brain injury before so oh, it was, you know. So um, they took her to CUH and she's still there sitting on a chair this morning. Correctly. So two and a half hours. About what time did this happen to her, Valerie? Around six-ish. Six o'clock last evening, and so therefore it would have been after eight when the ambulance. And was yeah. she was she near home or where was she? Um, she was quite near home. Yeah, quite near home. Okay. They had gone for a walk. Right, right, right. I see. And two and a half hours, and now she's still on a chair. Yeah, and she's in her seventies. You have two problems there, don't you? You first of all the ridiculous weight of two and a half, and here's the thing: like North Cork has a primary care centre and and a hospital in Mallow and stuff like that. So you kind of wonder why why the weight? But again, it seems to be this allocation system. I know it's crazy. Yeah, I hope she'll be okay. Have you been talking to her this morning? Is she all right? No, I've been talking to her husband, and she's just waiting out to see a doctor. Crikey. Thank you, that's crazy. All right, Valerie, thank you for that. I wish her well um, and wish her husband well. Uh, like, that, that, like, that's crazy. Two and a half hours waiting for the evidence to come. Uh, so that would have been, what, eight o'clock last night or so, and then brought to CUH. And now she's still sitting on a chair in the emergency department there this morning. But that is just not good enough. Not good enough at all. 1850 715 as we uh, head back to school and to college and all those things, I suppose the question would be asked, did we learn anything from the last year and a half? Um, and could we use anything that we learned in the last year and a half going forward to improve our our system, our education system and all? Um, Dr. Garrod O'Sullivan is head of department at the Department of Technology and Enhanced Learning at MTU. Garold, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, TJ. Uh, is there anything that we could have learned from the last 18 months that we, first of all, that we were forced into, many of us against our wills, but that we could have learned that would be useful going forward? Absolutely. You know, uh, there's a lot of uh, criticism, I suppose, leveled against uh, the approaches that were taken, this so-called 
emergency remote teaching, you know, right from the start. Uh, people, some people took a dim view of it, uh, focusing maybe on not what it could do, but on the things uh, that it couldn't. But, mm-hmm. you know, for, for all of, it, of its faults, um, like this whole emergency remote teaching phase really achieved, I think, something quite uh, remarkable. Um, and, and, and I think that the main um, thing to be remarked upon, the most unprecedented and radical um, aspect of it, is that it included everybody. You know, it wasn't limited to the enthusiastic few or to areas that seemed uh, best suited to it. All teaching became part of this uh, global move to the online environment. So you're asking what we get out of it. Well, I think for one thing, most third-level teaching staff are going to come out of this period with a whole new repertoire of uh, of skills. Uh, They're going to have developed collections of uh, digital learning materials that they can reuse. They're going to have figured out new techniques and approaches for 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 doing the things that we usually do on on campus. Mm. And um, as somebody working in the area, I suppose I'm really looking forward to the kind of conversations we can now have because people have had this lived experience of uh, teaching and and learning at a distance. Mm. Like if you were to pick one or two things, like from the last eighteen months, that you would immediately like to adapt on a permanent or semi-permanent basis, what would it be? Well, um, we we surveyed our staff and students in the Munster Technological University. We got really, really good response rates, samples large enough to provide uh, generalizable um, samples. So the benefits are kind of what we would have anticipated, the benefits that people want to see carried forward, and they include things like flexibility, time saved on travel, the ability to work and study for home, mm. being, being prepared, I suppose, for a more digitally enhanced future, having the chance to improve digital skills. But to, to take it up a level, I mean, we've been doing online learning for a very long time now in MTU. And yeah. I, I think the thing we'd like to always put across about it is that it's really a force for good, if you like. I mean, in this instance, it was able to keep the show on the road um, when campuses were, were obliged to close. But in general, it's always about breaking down learning barriers, be they geographical or uh, personal or political or, or, or what have you. So it's really a kind of a, an egalitarian um, tradition in terms of other things to, to carry forward. I think just because everyone's had this experience now, uh, it means that we can just talk about, you know, and look to see what works best based on whatever we're trying to achieve. Mm. Where can online and digital bring value? Where does it bring flexibility? Mm. Where does it solve problems? You know, and, and best of all, as I say in the article, now that our campuses are reopening, we can really begin to choose, you know. Yeah. In particular, I guess, look, MTU's campus you're, you're, it's a huge area now. You cover the whole of Cork and Kerry. And I know that when, when MTU was set up, the, the idea would, it would never happen that I'm living in Cork and I'd have to go to a lecture in Kerry. But, but, but if it is a thing that I would have to take a lecture from Kerry now, I could do it online. Does that open more opportunities? 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I suppose it also allows us to grow our student population, if you like, without having to always be thinking about building new buildings, uh, if, if you like. You know. So again, it's back to e-learning and online learning, um, opening up pathways to people who might otherwise be excluded or who, for whatever reason, can't commit to coming to the physical campus. I mean, we've been running online programs for more than 10 years now. We've 25 fully online programs. And, you know, it's really great on conferring day to talk to some of these people and uh, hear their stories. You know, people who have maybe caring responsibilities or, you know, there's changing shift patterns at work so they can't come to campus. Or maybe they have... uh, sensory disability or, or, or some other kind of a health issue and online is a way by which they can reskill yeah. and they can gain qualifications they otherwise couldn't. You is know? there the option as well, Gerard, to look, the, the lecture is at 10am but God, I've t- two small children and I've got to get them out to play school and back so I'll take my lecture recorded at 11. Is that is that an option? Completely and certainly for the online programmes I suppose it remains to be seen how some of these practices are going to land uh, in the mainstream, if you like. But for our online programs, um, that that that's absolutely a, a benefit. So uh, you can you can watch a lecture you've missed, or you might decide to watch a lecture you were present for, just so you can kind of go back over things and. Yeah. Check out your I remember my own time in college, Gerard, and it's not today nor yesterday, I may tell you. But I, I do remember, like, you, you'd get a lecture, and the lecture might be a little bit involved, and, and you might have a gap in your notes. And unless the person next to you had particularly good notes, you're never going to get that lecture again. So that would be a very useful way to do it. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, you can go further as well, maybe, and use some of those kind of moments of. Uh, confusion even if you like as a springboard for further discussion and communication so Mm -hmm. another great thing that works very well online we have discovered is having these kind of online communities you know where people can mutually support each other that kind of peer learning and communication is it's so important I mean it's important in the face-to-face world we know that but in the online one you know, you can really link it in, as you're saying there, PJ, with a particular moment in lecture or something like that. Did anyone else get that? Am, am I understanding this correctly? You yes. know? Yeah. Is there a possibility as well, uh, and this could be both at second and third level, but let's look at third level in particular. Like if there's a subject, for example, that MTU would like to offer, but there isn't a lecturer or there isn't the expertise to do it here. Is there a possibility that a university like this could could partner up with, say, London or Glasgow or God knows where else in the world and take the lecture from there and offer it as part of an MTU curriculum? Sure. So there, there's a number of ways in which that is kind of working already, if you like. Uh, we would have a number of adjunct faculty who are based in other colleges already who are delivering in areas maybe where we don't have that expertise or where we're still developing that expertise. Mm. But there's a very interesting tradition at the moment called open educational resources. And really this is about um, experts all over the world sharing their content in an openly licensed way so that I or you could take it as a student, but also um, I could take it and remix it with my own content and create a kind of a, 
a best of breed and, you know, uh, not have as much duplication, if you like. Mm. So I might say, geez, there's a really great um, explanation of calculus over in the University of Edinburgh. I'm going to take that and I'm going to include it on my course, if you like. Mm, so yeah. that, that's a very big thing at the moment in, in this space. And I think COVID has actually accelerated an, in, an interest in that kind of free sharing of yeah. educational content and resources. A, 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 a pooling of knowledge from around the world. A bit like we've actually exactly. learned about the pandemic, in fairness, Doctor, because, you know, we, we've taken our expertise from all over the world to try to get our heads around it here at local level. Exactly, exactly. So it really is kind of echoing that very community-based approach to things, you know, and it goes back again, I do think, to that tradition of, of online learning as, as being a, an egalitarian one, mm. you know, so people are freely sharing of their content and resources, which, you know, mm. just it, it, in, in a very kind of positive uh, way and a way that that, uh, that benefits the, the entire sector globally, if you like. I'm not sure um, if this comes under your remit, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Is there a possibility that down the road, you know, you might be able to do a course in college and pay a course fee and do it online and pay a different course fee and maybe online learning could become more affordable for some people? Well, potentially, I suppose. I mean, some some time back, there was a very big movement called the Massive uh, Open Online Course Movement. And it, it kind of did something like what you're talking about. A lot of very prestigious colleges got involved in providing completely free courses. And often you'd have as many as 100,000 students uh, signing up for any one of these courses and uh, and taking it for free. But now that that's settled down a bit, I think maybe the legacy of that movement is maybe more what I was talking about earlier, sort of a more granular sharing of content mm-hmm. so that that content can be reused and, and remixed and repurposed in, a, in different ways. But in terms of online being cheaper, that's not necessarily always the case, you know. Mm. There's still quite a lot of work that goes oh, into is. designing and developing um, good quality uh, online courses. But certain, certainly the, the, pandemic has, the pandemic has kind of forced our hand in, in looking to the future and adapting to the future. Thank you very much for being with us today. That's Dr. Garrod Osudawan. He's head of department of the Department of Technology and Enhanced Learning at MTU. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. 1850-715-996. We're just trying to figure out... Remember earlier on this morning we were talking to Mary... Uh, Mary's pregnant and she got her, it's her healthcare worker's dentist, and she got her first dose of an AstraZeneca jab uh, earlier this year. And she's obviously looking to get her second dose of vaccine. But what she wants to get is a Pfizer. And indeed, her, her own midwife and anybody else who's talking to her about the vaccine is suggesting that it's a Pfizer she should get and not a second AstraZeneca. 
and she was confused as to whether or not she can do that. Now, thanks to Anne, who emailed us a link to an Irish Independent article from the 2nd of September, which is last Thursday, and that said that people who received a single dose of AstraZeneca will be offered a Pfizer or Moderna jab from last week and they'll be given in HSE walk-in centres, walk-in dose 2 clinics. So that was published last week, which presumably means that NIAC have approved it now. Mary said that she couldn't get the second dose of Pfizer at the moment. One can only assume that it's so new that the word hasn't trickled down there just yet and there's some bit of confusion but certainly the word according to the Irish Independent last Thursday the 2nd of September uh, the word from the top down is that it can go ahead at this point so we'll see if there's any progress there from Mary over the next day or two 1850 715996 just happy to clarify that in any way we can quick reminder to your Premier League live back this Saturday at 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh powered by Talk Sport a big lineup again this Saturday with Trevor and the team live coverage of Crystal Palace versus Tottenham Hotspur at 12.30 Manchester United versus Newcastle United at 3 and Chelsea against Aston Villa at half past Past five. The Premier League Live online with now stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership. Your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with now. And listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Now, Amy has an issue with pennies. And, and this is one that has come up before on the opinion line. Absolutely has come up before. It was a couple of years ago now, but we did speak about it before. Sizing of clothes in shops. But Amy is determined to do something about it. We got a long email from her. Um, a lot of different uh, media outlets got that email. So I've been speaking to Amy about the problems she's having with sizing in pennies. Amy you bought clothes in pennies recently and you had bought clothes in pennies obviously before. Let me get this right. The same size isn't the same size. No, most definitely not. Um, they, it's essentially a, a label that's stuck on an item of clothing and just because something says five to six or six to seven, it doesn't mean that's actually it. Um, what I found is um, I ended up purchasing two of the same top for my son but in different sizes and in the torso there was no difference um, whatsoever in the in the actual size of it. There was about two centimetres um, extra length in the sleeves and about three centimetres in the width so it's, it's not allowing anything for you know height growth um, between your, your child going up a year in clothing. These were two, two similar garments of different sizes? The exact same garments in in uh, different sizes. Right. It's not an isolated incident. Um, I started comparing other um, items as well that I have. So, you know, tracksuit pants that I bought, the same tracksuit pants, just different colours. And the, the sizing, the length in them, it, it varies. The width varies, you know. So, you know what I mean? You parents going in, obviously you can't try on anything anymore. 
you know, you know, your child has gone up a size in clothing, but what you're buying in pennies isn't what you're you're looking for, you know. Now you say in your email, or you said to your in your email to pennies, that it's going to cause eating disorders. Yeah. Most definitely. Um, like, I, look, understandably, a lot of people put on weight during the lockdown just because, you know, there was nothing to do other than get a takeaway and sit at home and eat your takeaway at the weekend. Um, you know, some people went on the other extreme where they got out and, and started running a lot. And it, it we'll say, I know I've gone up a size in clothes, but if I'm shopping in pennies, I have to buy three sizes larger than what I would have been during the, or pre-pandemic. But I have size eight from five years ago that still fit me perfectly. Right. So, say, jeans that were size eight that you bought five years ago, they fit you, but if you go in today and buy a size eight jeans, they won't. Is that what they're saying? Oh, wouldn't even get them up past my knees. Um, You know, the... I had to buy, um, I bought a size uh, 12 pants and sizer and I got home, I tried it on and I was like, oh my God, I ended up having to go buy the 14 and even at that, the 14 barely like ties on me, it's, it's, it's tight. Um, so obviously I did say to pennies, you know, that like, look, I have clothes from before that fit fine. Um, you know, your sizes are completely varying. And the response that I got from them was that, oh, you know, there's different fabrics, um, sort of excuse, but like, yes, there's different fabrics, but the same size human being should be fitting into all the same sizes. Yeah. Now, I, I've often said fabrics. this before, Amy, I, I don't understand women's sizing at all. Men's sizes are so much easier for me to understand, but your belief is, look, a size 8 should be a size 8, should be a size 8, should be a size 8, correct? Exactly, yeah. Like, um, we'll take their jeggings, you know, if they're talking about stretchy material. Um, jeggings are, are sort of like elasticated jeans. Yeah. And, yes, while the waistband on that might be true to the size, like, Women's bodies, you kind of go wider, we'll say, around your hips, around your butt area, around your thighs, before it goes back in, you know, in at your waist. So, obviously, the jeans have to, if they don't have um, a zipper or button at the front, they have to be able to go up and around you. But what I find with their jeggings over the past four years, they have changed the threads that they're using. They're not using stretchable thread in them anymore. It's solid, harsh, coarse thread that there's no flexibility with. So yes, while you might need the waistband from a 10, you actually need a 14 for it to be able to get up. Yeah. And I suppose, Amy, this is the sensitive question. People have put on a few pounds, like you said earlier, over the course of the lockdown. But you know in your own heart and soul, you've not changed that much. Oh, no. Like, again, I, I know I have gone up. And, you know, it, it actually, it kind of did bother me a little bit in the beginning. But now I've kind of realised, you know, I'm in my 30s. I'm a mom. You know, me having the same figure that I had when I was 18 years old isn't realistic any longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have accepted that. How whenever, when I have to go into pennies and buy a size 14 
consciously that is making me kind of go, okay, you know, am I gone a lot bigger than I think I am? And like, I'd be quite a confident person. So anyone that is having body issues, you know, that that may be more vulnerable, I can see them going into pennies, buying clothes, going, oh my God. And, you know, actually developing eating disorders or self-harming, which, you know, is, is uh, obviously an issue in this country. Yeah. Well, I remember um, speaking to a girl a few years ago who went in and had something similar. Now, I don't know whether it was pennies, but she said she actually got a panic attack. Yeah, I believe it. Like, I, 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 it was my birthday the last day of last month, and I didn't even eat the birthday cake that I got because in the back of my mind I was saying, if I eat this, you know, it, it's not going to help with yeah. the, the gene sizes that I'm going up according to pennies. And come back to where we were a minute or two ago, you say you're trying to buy a four, you're buying a 14 now, but you have size 8s at home in the wardrobe that still fit you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that that bit doesn't make sense. Penny's sent us a statement, Amy, and I just want to read it to you and see what you think. They say, everyone's welcome at Penny's, which is reflected in the broad size ranges we offer. Consistency of fit matters as much to us as it does to our customers. We're always working with both our suppliers and technologists in our quality team to track and improve this. We continue to fit our designs using Size UK data as standard, but always encourage customers to get in touch with us if they have concerns about sizing and we'll happily look into their query. What do you make of that? Um, well, I I emailed them and I did get a response from them. It was as if they'd heard it a million times was kind of the... It's very right similar off. to what you got. I'm just reading the two here now, yeah. Yeah, so um, they just said back that, you know, um, oh, you know, they, they do acknowledge that the size, that there should be more difference between the two sizes that I sent them. But that was it. They were like, oh, we'll pass on your feedback, you know, and... That's not good enough. And, okay. um, you know, a parent, I, like, between the two of them, which one of those is the correct size? How much money have parents wasted going in, buying clothes, thinking they're getting the next size up, and and they're not? They're getting something that's just been marked wrong. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm in the middle of sending a response back to pennies. It is a bit of a harsh response, um, which is why I'm taking my time sending it back. But effectively... I'm giving them 90 days to sort out their sizing. What I'm also going to be doing, I work in Cork City, so I have an hour during my lunchtime. I'm going to go over to Penny's each day, a couple of times a week, and at random, select a couple of items of clothing, compare them, actually measure them to see if they're true to their size. Whatever isn't true to their size, I will be photographing, and I will be publicly putting that up um, on a form after the 90-day period if it's not sorted. And anyone out there that has that item of clothing with that tag should be able to take a case with the Competition and Consumer Protection Committee. Okay. Amy, we'll we'll follow this with interest and and see what response you get uh, after today. Thanks a lot for being with us. No problem at all. Okay. So, Penny's responded and said, look, we take your... uh, Complaint on board. Carla says, if I go to Dunn's, I'm almost always a 12, and a 12 is a 12, but when I go to Penny's, you just have to figure it out. You get ways of knowing if it's sized a bit small. She's right in what she's saying. Uh, Deirdre on Twitter says, I think Penny's are marking American sizes, which is two up from the UK. So if her UK 8, she'd be a US 12, always by two sizes up in Penny's jeans. But, but And 
but the bit that the bit that I interested in what what Amy said was that she has jeans in the wardrobe that were pennies size eight that she bought four or five years ago, and they'll still go on her. But now she's bet into a fourteen, according to Penny's Penny's sizing. Mags then says, Jesus, now I've heard it all. We all know when we buy in pennies, we ain't getting designer clothing, and the sizing isn't always great. But we shop there purely for the price. In all honesty, most of the clothes only last a few washes anyway. Yeah, but you'd like to be able to get into them, Mags, wouldn't you? If you buy a pair of jeans, you'd like to be able to get into them at least for that couple of washes. And if I go in and I buy jeans in pennies last month or last year and they fitted me, and I'm not exactly gone huge. I'd like to be able to go in and buy the same again and they'll fit me again. There's a sort of basic expectation that something will fit according to the fit on the label. 1850 On far more serious matters. PJ, how are you? It's crazy in A&E at the CUH. My sister is in there since half four Saturday. Still no bed available on any ward. The nurses are fantastic, but it's so chaotic. I don't know how they cope. a 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. I've talked before on the programme a number of times with uh, Neil Fox. And Neil, today is a difficult day for you and your family. Uh, Good morning to you. It's a strange day. It's um, I think five years just feels a little bit. There's certain years that feel more. I suppose five or ten years kind of have that you know kind of strange feeling. Yeah. Um, it just you know in a way it seems not long ago, and in another way it seems like lifetimes ago. You know. Yeah. She um, was on her way to work. That's right. Yeah, that morning. Yeah, she was drive or she drove part of the way in, and uh, she worked in Dublin City. That's where we're well, we're from, North County Dublin. Um, and then she used to cycle the remainder of the way in. So she was knocked down um, at a junction. Um, she was in the cycle lane, but she was she was going straight in the delivery lorry would have been going left. So it was literally like half a second manoeuvre that probably would have, you know. So it's I think that's why it's very important that um, we kind of highlight that the time element is not always, you know, to that you have to slow down for ages. It can just be a couple of seconds and it, it makes a difference um, between somebody being injured or, in, in this case, a fatal injury. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I suppose um, I just, I wanted to kind of mark it in some way. And because of COVID and all these different things that have been going on, um, I decided, well, I know it's improved since, but I just decided to do kind of an online thing um, and call it Give Time, Give Space. Mm-hmm. And um, just for today, and I'll maybe just explain a little bit what that, what that means. Um, okay. So it's very simple. Um, 
basically the give time part is about um, you know as we were just saying there about a couple of seconds can can make such a difference as in if you're coming up like the appeal is based uh, is towards government and towards motorists so obviously there are other issues with cyclists and pedestrians and things like that but th- this campaign is just focused on motorist behaviour um, and things that the government needs need to do to to improve things so the time element would be that um, if you're driving um, towards or beside a, a cyclist or that, you you know, you have to just give them that little bit extra time. Um, and the same on rural roads. I know people get impatient when there's a group, um, but it's like if you're behind a tractor or something, like you're not, you don't have the same attitude. You kind of just slow down. Um, so it's reducing speed, like it's the same across the board. Um, but the, the space element has to do with a few different things. Um, so giving space on the roads, and um, for cyclists is obviously the main one, which we might talk about in a minute, is yeah. overtaking and too yeah. close. There's there's new um, law there now about that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's that's kind of what what um, I'll just mention that that in a second. But the other part of the space would be to do with parking and cycle lanes, which is a big issue. I think it's big enough issue in Cork City as well. You know, with deliveries and and things like that. Um, and another thing is opening car doors without due attention, so you can. It's not always a car that's moving that can cause a, a collision or a, you know or an injury. It can be something as simple as that. So it's just to pay attention and kind of just be a bit more mindful because I think we're we're better at um, remembering pedestrians kind of coming out of nowhere sort of thing, but we don't always think of it as cyclists. Mm. Um, but yes, sorry, the 2019 legislation, because I, I know I had you probably pestered about it back then, <laughs> and the minimum distance um, that became the dangerous overtaking of a cyclist legislation. Yeah. Um, and basically just in a, a quick thing on that it's it's basically to be a, about a meter to a meter and a half um away when you're when you're overtaking a cyclist so it's it's not actually a big distance at all um and it's like it's it's probably less than if you're overtaking a car so it's 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 not um a big a huge issue but there is a special um fine and penalties and that for that now which there haven't been before but the, I suppose the gist of um, my my campaign that will probably be longer than, than it will go on a little bit longer. It's not, sorry, I shouldn't say it's my campaign. It's really, um, there's a lot of people involved in it. Mm. And um, they, they're campaigning. And I, I know Kieran Cannon from Galway, Katidi, he had a table the motion in the doll, um, I think it's four or five months ago now. Yeah. He had a bad um, accident himself, hadn't he? Yeah, Kieran, yeah, he's doing well. But yeah, he, he was, he was, yeah, he was very lucky in certain comments. Um, you know, he, yeah, he's he's badly injured. Um, he's had knee surgery and that. Um, but he's always been heavily involved, like before that. So it's it's you know it's you know it it just shows it happens. It can happen to anybody. Yeah. But sorry, but what we're trying to do is get the Minister for Justice, um, Heather Humphreys, and the Department for Justice, um, to come up with um, a system that just makes it easier for um, cyclists that are reporting <clears throat> like video evidence. Um, you know, like the the helmet cameras. Yeah. Um, so so that's basically the main way of proving um, if there's like a if there's somebody um, driving dangerously. It, they haven't injured you normally, or they haven't knocked you down normally. Mm. But it still is it's it still is a breaking of of the rules of the road and of of the law actually. So it's important that it is reported because the more the more it is, the less the, those things happen. But the problem has been that some Gardaí and some stations in the country are very good mm-hmm. at, at doing this and following through on it. 
Others have a very flippant attitude and some don't really understand it. Um, and so the, the thing is that what we are looking for is to have a, you know, an online portal um, system where it's the same all around the country, but you have got, uh, like it's a dedicated portal for the submission of video evidence um, from from cyclists. Right. So it would be like a national thing. And they do it in England and Wales and a few other countries. Um, and it works well. So it's not, it's not rocket science. Um, it's quite a simple thing, but it just seems that it's been lost um, mm. in the tracks. And the problem is that that's obviously, you know, it's making the enforceability of that new legislation um, more difficult. Now, there has been, there has been... Yeah, would uh, you say, Neil, that in general, in general drivers <laughs> are a bit more cognizant these days? Yes, I would say that, yeah, definitely. Um, now, there's still, unfortunately, there's, there's the opposite end as well. There's some, there's some people who are have sort of become, there's a lot more, I would call it, like road rage and kind of aggression as well. But it's it's I, overall like since I even got involved five years back, I think things are improving, um, mm. and I would see a lot of hope for it. The, these um, new cycle lanes that are around, and I know there was a bit of a uh, furore on social media about it recently. But I've observed my own driving with regard to them. You know these new cycle lanes now that seem to have bollards along them. Yeah. They're all over the city now. Yeah. And initially, when I I saw them, I said, "Crikey, that's a bit awkward, isn't it?" But mm-hmm. actually. They're not really. They're there. They they raise a bit of awareness that there, there could be a cyclist anywhere around you, and you kind of keep keep a. I'm thinking of South Terrace is one place in particular where there's bollards all up one side. That's a very yes, difficult place for a for a cyclist to maneuver because it's a bit of a climb up. So that once you know, I, I think they help. I do, do. Well, I think they help. Like, it, obviously, it would be better to have more segregation and all that. But in the meantime, I, I would be of that opinion because I know when, when Donna died, actually, there was, there, like, she was actually in, she was in the cycle lane, as I said before, but it was, it, you know, like a painted, you yes. know, the painted one. It wasn't, now it's changed since they've altered it now. It's much better. But um, at that time, but after, a couple of weeks after she died, the count, Dublin City Council, that would have been, they did erect, I think, 13 or 14 bollards. And although they were only kind of plastic, and I know some of them got damaged, it was at least, to me, it made us look as if, you know, that they were trying to do something. And so I think we, we you know, overall, we need a lot more than that. But I think we have to kind of be, be grateful that there, there is a move um, in general mm. um, towards better, um, better cycling um, in most, most parts of the country. Like, uh, yeah. I suppose we could all do better. Um, yeah, I think rural roads are, are more worrying for me, which might sound strange because Don obviously died in the city, but... I just, I, like, I'm, we're from a rural part of Dublin, like, and even if you're going around Cork and rural parts of that, it's the speed of, um, you know, the speed limit is so high um, for country roads that mm. it's very difficult. Um, I know of a friend and she said that she won't let her children out on the cycle on the road and they live, like, in a, in a quiet area mm. because she's like, it's just too dangerous. It's the speed um, more there, where at least mm. in the city we can we can reduce the speed a bit, a bit better. So there's loads of stuff to be done, you know. So what's your message finally, uh, Neil, to to people who might be listening, drivers who are listening today, just in terms of, of, of I suppose, behaviour around cyclists? I think the most important thing is just to remember that they're like another car on the road. They're, they're another, um, like you wouldn't, most drivers anyway, wouldn't behave um, as, we'll say, 
um, what would you say, reckless, maybe it's too strong a word, but uh, as impatient um, with another car as they do when they see somebody on a bike. And you know that there's no hierarchy on the roads, that we're all entitled um, to travel um, the way we want. And I suppose the big thing is that it can happen to anybody. Um, and you know what you don't like there isn't I know I'm, I'm going on about like mo- motorists and, and cyclists there but there isn't like this big division really because I think I was saying that to you before most people who cycle also drive like mm. adults I mean so it's not you know and it, it's not that that. but there just can be that element I suppose of com- com- competition or something and I know people are stressed especially returning to schools and colleges and all that at the moment and you know with the restrictions lifting and I think we haven't had a huge emphasis on road safety in the last year. So I think it is important that like, no matter what way we're, we're getting around, that we do just um, take that little bit more care. Okay. And like, I just think that give time, give space. It's just a very easy little mantra. Okay. Um, you know, it's, you know it's, it's, it's a very simple thing. Just give um, a few seconds uh, or, or a bit of space. Neil, thank you very much. That's uh, Neil Fox. And again, uh, commiserations and thoughts with your family today, five years since the loss of his sister, Donna, a cycling accident in Dublin. 1850-715-996. I had an incident on my holidays, which I'll tell you about after the song. I was fit to be tied, but the missus just said, calm down, tis grand. They'd be gone in a minute. I'll tell you in a sec. Now, Friday, just before we left you Friday... I mentioned that we were looking into something with regard to Santa at FOTA. And we weren't entirely sure what we were dealing with, but that we'd look into it. And we have been doing that. And Fiona, what is happening? Because I was reading at the weekend in the paper that already... Santa bookings are flying all over the place. Yeah, I mean, I was quite surprised last week. I was still in the whole trying to get back to school mode and I saw people on Facebook posting links to different uh, Santa experiences around the city and I was like, God, those parents are way more organised than me and fair play to them. But yeah, a lot of people now are looking at booking Santa and um, the Santa and the whole Christmas experience out at Foot Island Resort has been huge over the last few years and it's um, you know, it's a very popular event event on the Christmas calendar here in Cork and some people had contacted the hotel inquiring about it and they got an email back saying um, and I think that the, they were confused by the email I think because the email had stated that Photo Island Resort was teaming up with Photo House, they're two different areas um, for the, for this Christmas and that they were offering guests of the hotel um, a, a package and um, it would be a, a night in the hotel, bed and breakfast and then you get to go and see Santa in Photo House. So people, I think, were of the um, opinion that the Santa experience out in Fota was only open to people who were staying in the hotel. Mm. So we have been in touch with Fota Island Resort and they have issued us a statement um, and I was talking to them on the phone and they said that the Santa experience on the grounds of Fota will not take place this year. So that experience that we all love mm. out in Fota is not actually happening this year. But Fota House are having their own Santa on site in December. So Fota Island Resort have teamed up with Fota House and they're offering their residents um, a package so if you're staying in the hotel then you'll be able to go to the house but I understand now Photo House haven't um, yet 
released any details about their Santa experience and they're expecting to do that over the next few weeks but I do understand that that will be open to the public and um, the Photo Island Resort will be releasing details about their accommodation package um, later this month in around mid-September. Right, but but this rumour that was going around on Friday that the Santa would only be open to residents, Mm. that's not the case? That's not the case, no. Okay, Okay. Okay. glad to clarify that and as soon as we can tell you any more we will Thanks, Fiona, for that. 1850-715-996. Always better to hang around and wait till you get the facts. That's not the best thing to... Yeah, I was telling you, this, this happened to me on my holidays, and this is not a reflection on, on any cyclist or any cycling campaigner, but I was like a devil over it, and the missus just said to me, drive on, drive on, drive on. There's a place in County Antrim called Brushan. And we were driving from uh, Carnlock, which is where we were staying, into Ballymena to do a bit of shopping. Nice drive. And there's a huge shopping centre in Ballymena. But we're driving in and came across, it was the middle of the hot weather, came across a, a gang of cyclists on the very narrow country road between Carnlock and Brashan's country road. And there was five or six of them together. So I goes, oh Jesus, here we go now. But you give them a bit of time, you give them a bit of space. There was no point trying to trying to overtake them because the road is way, way too narrow. And they were going along at a fair old click now, in fairness to them. So we just slowed down, turned the music up a little bit. We're on the holidays, nobody really cares. Then we got into the village. And the village has a cycle lane. It's just marked. It's not bollered it off or anything, but it's just marked down the side cycle lane. And a couple of the lads went to move into it. But one of them kept moving out and kept, and every time I or anybody else tried to go past them, they moved out again. So they kind of went through the whole village, some of them in the cycle lane, and then every so often moving deliberate, what looked to me deliberately out into the traffic to slow the traffic down. And I caught a gesture between two of them where one guy was saying, come back in, and another, no, no, back out. I just thought, you're not doing yourselves any favour, lads. But at the same time, uh, most cyclists are nothing like that. I just noticed it. I was fit to be tied. We eventually stopped and got coffee just to let them drive on. Just get them out of my hair for the day. 1850 Caller says, I think both motorists and cyclists should receive proper education in coexistence. And Bernie, are people meant to cycle on the footpaths where there's no cycle lanes? I can never understand that. And uh, Hi PJ says, Brian, when I lived in San Francisco, the city swapped the cycle lane and the parking lane to put a barrier between cyclists and traffic. So you had the footpath, then the cycling lane, then the parked cars, then traffic. It's an interesting way of doing it, Brian. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Your afternoon in Cork sounds better with all your favourite tunes. The latest trends, what's happening in TV and entertainment, what celebrities are embarrassing themselves. It's all you want to help you through the day. See you from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Documentary on T.G. Cahar this Wednesday at half past nine called Gomeramid Bio. And among the things that they're going to be looking at are preppers, um, apocalypse, 
people being prepared for the apocalypse and the end of the world. When we've talked about this before on the opinion line, and I've talked to one or two people who, who were genuinely preparing for the end of the world and figured it was closer than we thought. And at one point I spoke about, and I think we spoke to someone who had a prep shop in McCroom, a survivalist store in McCroom. Uh, Gomeri Mibio is on Wednesday on TG Cahar and Oshin Mishkel joins me, the presenter. Oshin, good morning to you. How are you, PJ? Uh, you, you were, were you surprised to discover that there were uh, preppers in, in, in Cork? Um, well, there's all sorts of people in Cork, PJ. I'm not surprised it was Cork, um, but I, I was a bit, but uh, I was down in McCroom. We, we met Sven Ridgway, who's the owner of the prepper and survivalist shop down there. And preppers could be anything from, you know, people who enjoy extreme wild camping to people who are ready for any kind of societal collapse and the end of the world. Yeah. And what what sparked your interest in it? Um, Well, I suppose the documentary is looking at um, apocalypses past, present and future in Ireland and how we have prepared in the past. I suppose in the last year and a half, I'm not alone in uh, feeling like the end of the world was upon us for a while there. And uh, all I was doing was doom scrolling and, uh, you know, swallowing bad news after bad news. So there was a bit of an apocalyptic feel about it. So we wanted to look back in history and see, you know, does every generation have some kind of uh, apocalypse Mm. at the end of it? Yeah, this was the. This actually is the same shop that that we touched base with a, a number of years ago. It's a small little place, but it's like mm. a treasure trove inside. But you also found, let me get this right, some kind of a bunker in County Galway. Yes. So w- what I found fascinating was that uh, Ireland had actually uh, a plan for a nuclear fallout, in that every county would have a nuclear bunker. Um, and we visited one in Galway. So so each county would have a nuclear bunker and they would feed all the information to a, a main bunker in Athlone, underneath the barracks in Athlone, uh, which is where they would have sent uh, the government in, in case of nuclear fallout. I remember Mary, Mary O'Rourke used to joke in the 90s that if there was nuclear fallout, she'd be the only one who'd actually make it to Athlone in time because she lived so close to the bunker, the rest of them would be absolutely screwed. So she'd be de facto Tisha. But uh, yeah, it was it was it mad. There was there was a, a bunker in every county. We went to visit one in Galway. Uh, it was built under a school, and uh, it looks like um, it looks like the basement of a school. Mm. At one point, there was a rumor going around that they were doing one under Leinster House in the in the bowels under Leinster House to get them down into it safely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think it, it came there are tunnels. You see, there are tunnels under Leinster House, so people were kind of. Genuinely, our tunnels on Lens House, but people were saying, well, maybe they're building a, a bunker down there. So, so what kind of, how long is the series and what kind of things will you be featuring? It's a once-off. It's a, it's a once-off special. So we, uh, we have a few visits to Cork, actually. We have another visit to Cork uh, to UCC where we're talking about nuclear power. Um, I don't know if you remember the Cork uh, nuclear-free zone signs that used to be up on all the roads coming into Cork. Yes, yes. yes. Well, ironically... Um, for 40 years, Cork was actually the only place that had a nuclear reactor in it. Uh, what? In the 60s, yeah, yeah, in the 60s, uh, early 60s, uh, the American government were trying to get other people to buy into nuclear power, so they sent, kind of as a propaganda exercise, they sent out small reactors to different countries, and Ireland took one, and it was in the basement of the science building in UCC for about 40 years. <laughs> so there you go. When, when did they take it out of it? Uh, they, they actually... <laughs> They found it very hard to get rid of. I think they actually eventually had to pay 
um, for someone to take it back to America. Um, but it was there for a good 30 or 40 years. So Cork, Cork's pride in being the only nuclear-free part of Ireland, actually it was the only nuclear part of Ireland. That's a great story. That's nearly as... I remember talking uh, to a guy one time who told me about a, a man in, I think, te- I think Texas or some one of those crazy states. He had mm. an Olympic-size swimming pool in which he used to breed fish. What? Yeah, so that come the apocalypse, he had plenty to eat. Well, it's funny that the prepper, the prepper movement really did was born in America. It's a, there's a kind of a, an individualistic streak to it. You know, there's a, there's a real American. The way Americans approach the apocalypse is quite different to say how we might have done it previously. So Americans tend more to want to build a, a bunker and build walls around them and shut mm. the door behind them and see how long they last. Whereas if we look back to the 60s in Ireland, um, we actually sent out the government sent out a booklet in 1963 called Boss Baha to every home in the country, which means life or death. And it was basically telling you how to survive a nuclear apocalypse. Some of them were quite funny, like there'd be little pictures that would say, you know, if the bomb goes off near you, jump on the ground. And then it had a little picture of how, how you could jump on the ground. If there was an, a wall nearby, you should hide behind the wall. Uh, Did you come across was- anybody with like six, eight and ten month larders? <laughs> no, but the funny, the book actually recommended... And central to the plan was the room under the stairs. You know, you had to have a room under the stairs. And if you didn't have a room under the stairs, you better find a neighbour who did because it was central to surviving nuclear apocalypse was filling it with a mattress, a bin, which would also become a toilet, and uh, as many tin goods as you could. Have they seen the space under the stairs in most modern houses? <laughs> I don't know. But it, it was very central to this book, I'm telling you that much. Good Lord. I look forward to that. Wednesday, half past nine. Gurmernamid Bio on TG Kahar. Oshin Mishkel is the, the presenter looking at the strange world of preppers and uh, apocalypse. It looks like fun. 1850 715 996. Before we go today, I want to catch up with Shane Clark. He's the chief executive of Nano Nagel Place because uh, this is, this is incredible. Nano Nagel Place has been voted as one of the top 10% of TripAdvisor attractions, not in Ireland, not in Europe, worldwide. Shane, good morning. PJ, good morning to you. Good. That's some achievement in the short time that Denonagle Place has been opened. Well, I, I think myself and my colleagues really sort of fell off our collective chairs uh, the last week when we got the, got the notice. So... Um, yeah, we've been going for a short, short period of time, but uh, I think the the algorithms and the stats on, on TripAdvisor obviously uh, put us with some uh, some sterling company around the world. Now, at the moment, you've got the Changing Habits 250 Years of Convent Life Exhibition. That's running for a little while, but that that's actually got a huge response. It, it's been great. So we have we have a main exhibition which looks at uh, the history of the history of the site and the history of Nano. And this uh, temporary exhibition, which will probably continue through until Christmas, uh, looks specifically at 250 years of what you know Corkonians would know as South Prayers. So that's the the number of schools that were there, primarily girls but latterly boys, and the convent life that was there. And it's still actually technically gone. We've still got three sisters living there. So yeah, it's been um, it's been. Uh, you know, sort of, I'm in, I'm, I'm in at the desk sort of every every day and downstairs, and it's been sort of wonderful. People have been coming in, 
uh, a lot of staycationers and they're saying this place is, is marvellous. The other lovely thing they say is, God, isn't Cork marvellous? So uh, I think a lot of a lot of people have found not only Nanonagle Place, but they found Cork as well. This summer, yeah, yeah. And the fact that this comes in the middle of when nobody was coming to Ireland or could come to Ireland in the middle of the pandemic, it's an even bigger endorsement. Well, it is. So last, you know, last year we would have been our sort of second, second to third real summer, depending on how you count it. And that was obviously Noctra 6. And we just started building those relationships with the, so, you know, the coach tours and uh, what have you. So we were, we were looking forward to having, uh, you know, coaches drive up, uh, whether directly or into the city and welcoming people and showing people around from a huge sort of diverse audience. And then we thought, well, at least we'll have 2021. And that audience is gone as well. So it's the, it's the staycation audience. It's the work with the hotels. It's the work with, you know, Visit Cork. They've actually seen a really positive summer. And uh, I think, you know, when you actually go on to TripAdvisor, almost more important or actually probably more important than that accolade is the reviews, mm. which I read all of them. And they say, look, it's a beautiful place. The welcome is, is just terrific. They're real your Cork welcome and, and the stories once they get into the museum it's a really resonant story yeah it's it's, it's remarkable and the achievement in such a, a short space of time you've also got I think a new app that you've published and a, a virtual tour we, we have yes yeah. so uh, you know COVID uh, COVID I suppose allowed us to step back from the cliff face of work as, as with many people around the world and have a look at what we were doing and in some ways it was very positive so we did some Physical interventions, we put in a sort of secret garden, we extended the shop, but we went very heavily online. And as part of that, we've developed an app which will allow you, wherever you are in the world, uh, if you just go onto our website, you'll find the link through to it, to take a virtual tour, a bit like if you went onto Google Street View. And you can explore the whole site, including the museum, and it's loaded with content and videos. Um, and then if you want something a bit more, uh, you can get in touch with us and we'll organise a personal tour. So my colleague, Sorsha, who's our uh, education manager, has been doing tours with uh, students um, and um, I think some parents groups actually in California of late, you know. So you. she's sitting in she's sitting in uh, South Parish and there's a classroom of 30 kids in, in sunny California being taken on a trip around, uh, you know, 18th century Cork. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that, and that you know that that helps as well with with ratings like this. But to be in the top ten percent of attractions worldwide with just a couple of years under your belt is a magnificent uh, achievement. And Shane, I think you've come back. Have you relocated from London to to take up uh, yeah, this job? Yeah, sort of a bit of a dirty secret. Originally from Dublin, but I I, I told people I'm, I'm from London because I lived there for over twenty years and uh, moved back here. Or moved moved back here. Moved to Ireland. Moved to Cork rather than rather than to Dublin uh, almost five years ago to the day, actually. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a change. Okay, well, listen, uh, great work being done by the team down there in Nanonagel Place and recognised globally now as part of the top 10% of attractions worldwide on TripAdvisor. Thank you, Shane. That's Shane Clark, CEO. And there's a big team down there. We've talked to a lot of them over the, the years, but they're having that exhibition at the moment and as Niels or as Shane said there it'll probably run up to Christmas now it's the Changing Habits 250 Years of Convent Life Exploring 
the story of Nando Nagel and the sisters. It's a remarkable turnaround of a building that at one point was looked, just looking a bit sort of sorry for itself and run down. And now it's one of our top attractions and great to see it. 1850 I think that's more or less where we are for today. The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we shall see you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hey Mel, Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Hey, Mikey, if you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey, popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian.